If you would please open up your Bibles to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. <laughs> uh, last week was interesting. I thought we were going to get through 33 verses. We got through four. So we were, we were, we were trucking right along last week uh, at a pace. But uh, the anticipation is we will do all the remaining of the 33 verses today of chapter 11. And we will continue on the topic of fatherly love warning, part two of this message. And we saw last week that Paul, like a father to the believers there in Corinth, he was speaking to his spiritual children, those God had brought into his life. That's what it's like to be a pastor or a minister, or in this case, Paul the Apostle. God had taken him, sent him to a place he had never been before, into the Gentile world, to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that you could be saved if you would just put your trust, your faith in Jesus Christ alone. You can be saved and have eternal life. And those who heard the call, he heard the God touch their hearts, gave their life to Christ, and now they became children. You and I are children of the Most High. And then, but God put Paul, had a calling on his life to be an apostle, to be that pastor, to be that minister, to, to encourage those in the faith, to, to raise them up in the, in the faith. And so like children, he was pouring into those children and pouring into them and pouring into them and pouring into them. To help them to, to grow and mature in their relationship. And there are those who would like to hinder that. Even in the, in the faith. There are people who want to hinder God's children to grow in their knowledge and understanding of who Jesus is. And their father. And the, who the Holy Spirit is. The, the Godhead. It's just like a parent. You pour into your children, you pour into your children, you pour into your children, and you're just, you weren't not sure if they're ever going to get it. It's like, God, are they ever going to get this? I keep repeating myself, repeating myself, and repeating myself, and demonstrating, and demonstrating, and demonstrating. But they just seem not to want to get it, or they're just rebellious. But that's one of the parts of it. But as a parent, you also know and are not blind the fact that there are people outside of the family who want to stop you from teaching your children the things of God and to, to, to raise them properly. And they're looking to try to destroy your children. They're subtly trying to get into you through so many ways to stop you from allowing your children to grow up and mature in a healthy, godly uh, man or a woman. Through music, through TV, through, uh, through the phones. There's so many ways to reach your children today compared to the back in the day. It's just sometimes it was like, well, I don't like the neighborhood kids. They're not, they're not out of control and you can't play with them today. And you could actually control that. But today with so many other ways to get to your children, there are people out there who want to come against you. Well, Paul is experiencing that from a spiritual perspective. As a spiritual father trying to teach and encourage and to help their spiritual children, those believers in Corinth, to grow up, there were false teachers. There were 
they were Judaizers. They were wolves in sheep's clothing trying to get in there to seed and to go against Paul's authority. To go and teach subtly differently than what the pure gospel of Christ is. And there's nothing new under the sun. It's happened right there. God himself started Adam and Eve in the garden. And look who came right in there, Satan, to come in and deceive Eve and Adam and to bring them down. Nothing new under the sun. And so we see here in the scriptures, as we pick back up here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 5, as we remember in verses 1 through 4, Paul was obviously is laying out here like a father and giving fatherly love warnings to his children there in Corinth that he is like a father is to protect them. He is there to provide for them. He's there to endure in pain for them. And we see that outline here in this chapter. We've taken the first four of your verses about the protection of your children. And like spiritual leaders, must protect the church from false teachers who are trying to seduce the church from, from pure devotion to Jesus Christ and onto themselves or onto worldly ways or views within the church. And we just can't allow that to happen. You can't take the things in the worldly ways and the, 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 the philosophy of men and the psychology of men and bring it into the church. It cannot happen, but it happens all the time. And you see it in a, many teachings. If you listen to some teachings, and they're very popular people on the, on the circuits of teaching in the churches today, and they're teaching psychobabble out there. They're teaching worldly ways. And it's, and it's a plethora of that. And that's why we encourage you, be very careful when you start, your ears start getting tickled and you start getting swayed and it goes contrary to the word of God. You are being, you're taking in from false teachers. You're taking in from people who are saying, you have to do more than just grace. You have to have the law. That's what the Judaizers were saying. You, great, you're saved by grace, but you also need to keep the Jewish laws. And here's what you need to do. You have to eat a certain way. You have to get circumcised. All the stuff that was coming back into the church. And now Paul is having to deal with that as a spiritual father. has to deal with that to protect his children. Now, when we see that, today we're going to pick back up here in verses 5 through 15. The, uh, Paul, as a, heavenly, as a spiritual father, is going to be... It talked about the provision for his children. And it starts here in verse 5. He says, For I consider that I am not at all inferior to the most eminent apostles. Now, as, as I've been, you know, you, you're going to see, you're going to see a little bit of, um, uh, oh, I wouldn't say, um, uh, I, I just will call it a little sass coming back from Paul here uh, to these, these, these people. He's going to let them know, hey, what you're going on, I'm just going to step out here and I'm going to meet you kind of halfway and I'm going to let you know some stuff here that you need to understand here. He says, oh, that I, 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 for I consider that I am not at all inferior to these false teachers, these other teachers you're listening to. These, these people, after I left Corinth and you've allowed these people to come in, filtrate into the church, I'm not inferior to them at all. I'm not to these, and he, and he describes these people as the eminent apostles, these, these, these distinguished, well-known, self-appointed super apostles as we see in the scriptures. That's what was happening. These people were coming in. Look at 
I've written books. I've got a PhD. I'm all over. I'm all over this country. My name is on billboards now and in back of the self-eminent, self-distinguished, well-known pastors come in. Paul says, "I'm not at all inferior to these self-appointed apostles here. I'm not at all inferior to these well-known and highly distinguished types." Verse 6, even though I am untrained in speech, because remember they, had, they were coming against Paul and we saw earlier how he was, they were coming against him and kind of discrediting him saying, hey, look, listen to how he speaks. He's not that very well refined. He obviously must have not gone to seminary or something because he couldn't pronounce a word in the scriptures. He couldn't, he couldn't put a phrase together and it seems to be logical here. And he didn't have three points in PowerPoint presentations and Matt. No, he says, I may not be, I may be untrained in speech, but I am not in knowledge because I know who God is. I know the truth. That, that you can't question me on. Yes, you can question how I speak compared to these eminent apostles that seem to be filtering and you're listening to. But we have been brought thoroughly manifested among you in all things. Paul is saying, you know me. You know who I am. You, I have been transparent to you. I'm not someone who lives in my ivory tower and in my office and not among the people and haven't been out there and you haven't been able to touch and hear and see me and, 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 and even have a meal with me. I have been with you. I have been very manifested, very transparent. I have been like an open book to you. You, you could have asked me any question. So, yes, I may be untrained in speech compared to these people that keep filtering in, but not when it comes to knowledge. Verse 7, did I commit sin in humbling myself that you might be exalted? Because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge? See, remember in the previous teachings, Paul uh, did not take up an offering. He didn't, he didn't sit there and make sure he received a certain amount of money or a paycheck from that church for being there uh, to starting that church and, and teaching at that church. He didn't receive offerings. He did not even ask them for any support there in Corinth. He was freely serving the people without any, and asking for anything in return. He did not want money to be an issue and come between them and him in regards to receiving the gospel or receiving the truth. They didn't want anything to cause possible hindrance there. And obviously Paul picked up on something going on within that body of believers there that if he had received money, that somehow they would see that become a barrier to them. And he says, I, I'm not going to take any money then. Because I don't want anyone to think I'm doing this because it's a job. I'm not going to do this because they supposedly hired me like some hireling. And because you're paying me money, because you're providing me benefits, because you're providing me a nice office and all these benefits, that that is why I am here, Paul says. Or because the body gave them money that somehow the body, some committee can then control the pastor Paul in how he and what he will do in the church. It could be either way. It can go like that in some churches. 
But Paul says, I'm not going to take anything. I, I don't need anything. I'm, I'm freely giving. I can, God sent me here to, to, to start the, the, this new work. And I trust in God is going to provide. So Paul had the right to receive financial support uh, at, at Corinth. And we know that in the scriptures that, that a pastor who's teaching it should be received from the, from the body. But he laid it aside and he was willing to sacrifice for the love of those people. And it's just like a loving parent provides for the needs of the family. Paul sacrificed that he might minister to the church of Corinth. And while Paul was, Paul, uh, Paul was there, he labored with his own hands, as we know, as a tent maker. And we saw that in Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 3. He says, I'm willing to do what I know I can do. And I'm going to go out to work with, use my hands, and I'm going to go make tents. And I'll make money that way, and that way I don't have to ask for support from the church. Because the church, it wouldn't be right. It wouldn't be, it, things would settle well there. We also know that other churches in other areas, Macedonia, other, the Philippi church, actually sent and brought money to provide for him. It's like a missionary, right? Giving, he's going out, going to do a new work, and another church sends them or gives them and provides some money for them to be able to not be a burden on a brand new church getting started up and so that there would be no hindrance for them to be able to stay there to do that work. And so Paul was provided for. He worked. He wasn't, he wasn't, he, he wasn't shy from working hard, ministering to people during the day and ministering to people with, at night and being available to them. But he was also saying, okay, I have a break here. I'll go make some money on the side here. Some of the other churches were providing for him. He was, his needs were being met. He wasn't worried about that. But did the Corinthians there in Corinth appreciate the sacrifices that Paul would make for them? No. He did, they did not appreciate what Paul was doing for them there in Corinth. Most of them did not. In fact, if the Judaizers was the problem. They were the ones who were even they were coming in, and they were actually saying, oh, look at Paul's position here, his policy, his, 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 his position of not receiving money. If, if he doesn't receive money from you, is he really an apostle? Is he really, should you give him that authority? Should you really? Because you don't really control him and you really can't dictate to him as, as Paul what to do and not to do within the church. See, so what was happening is these false teachers will take what's truth, what is good with the right motive, with the right heart, and they'll just slightly twist it and change it. Nothing new under the sun, right? Didn't that how Satan did with, with Eve in the garden? Did God really say that? Are you sure he would? It was just a subtleness how false teachers or those who are causing division, they just try to bring down the authority of the person that God has brought and just subtly try to bring attention to themselves or to someone else. It's always a sign. It's a sign that we should be aware of and watch very carefully. And when we hear it and see it or receive it, you must take care of it and rebuke that individual as quickly as possible. Bring light to it. Because darkness cannot allow to, or it'd be like cancer and it will spread within a body. And so Paul's dealing with this here. 
He says, I'm not doing it. And yes, they're using this policy, this position I've taken as proof that I'm not a true apostle because I didn't receive financial support. But that's, that's, that's craziness here. Paul had already explained his, pro, his, his position, his policy in regards to not receiving money back in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 in the first letter. He reminded them what is the description of what qualifies as someone to be an apostle in the position of apostleship. And that is the fact that he was appointed, that the truth comes out of who a true apostle is, is, is you had to have seen the risen Christ. And he had. And that he had to have been commissioned by Jesus Christ to be, to go out and to spread the, the gospel, which he did. That's why he was qualified as an apostle of that position. Not because he received money from a church. Not because he had some, met some uh, qualifications at some seminary. Not because he had certain oratorial skills that had to be passed by some, some committee. And he didn't have some piece of paper on some wall that he had to prove himself. That's worldly thinking. That is not biblical thinking. And we must keep it that way. Because if not... False teachers and people will suddenly come in and tell you, why would you listen to that man? You need to listen to them instead. Paul had the right to ask for financial support, we know. Because God says to, to, to provide and support God's faithful servants even today. But he had deliberately given up that right so that nobody could accuse him of using the gospel simply for his personal gain, simply for some, some religious business that he was trying to work in some career and to bring his name to light and for somehow to get his books published and all these other things that go on in the church today. He was simply feeding the sheep, simply like a father to children to raise them up so they can be available to that. Like a child can come to a father and say, Dad, I've got some problems. i got issues. Help me. What do I do? And Paul was there to be there to available to them through the difficult times of life, but also to celebrate when God is doing mighty things through the person's life. That's what a father does. That's what a mother does with her children. And Paul says, I am just here to just humbly to serve you and not look for personal gain. But on the other hand, the Judaizers, those who they accepted and brought into the church, that's exactly what they were doing. They were peddling the gospel. You need me to come, to, you know, I'll come and you're going to pay me a certain amount of money and you're going to provide certain benefits and you're going to guarantee me this and you're going to make sure you sell a certain amount of my books and all kinds of Paul was dealing with the same things here. But Paul had preached the gospel to them freely. But these people said, you must pay me to teach. What hypocrisy. Don't listen to Paul, but you need to pay me to teach you. And to show up and have my presence among you. So you're blessed. It's crazy. But Paul preached the gospel freely, without charge, for nothing. Who was really robbing the, the church there? Paul or these false Judaizers? These false Judaizers are the ones who are really robbing the people and preaching the false gospel they did. Question for you. Do you appreciate the sacrifices others make for you? Are you willing to sacrifice for others even when they do not thank you 
for the work you've done for them? Have you grown and matured in your walk where you can literally serve someone without any look for thank you? That's what Paul's saying. That's what the scripture said. There's nothing wrong to encourage someone in the work of the ministry. To show appreciation, to thank them, to show and understand and see. Because things just don't just get done. <laughs> you know, the, the lights didn't turn on just because the lights turned on. Because I assure you, Convergence upstairs did not give it to us for free. Our landlord does not give it to us for free. Someone had to pay for that. Someone had to turn them on this morning. Right? We, have to, we, we understand these things. But if you keep it in perspective as a parent, as you pour into your children day in and day out, do you expect your children to say thank you every single time? No, of course, as a parent, you don't. But you do train them up to teach them to show appreciation and to respect and understand of the fact that as a parent, you're pouring into them. I mean, there's a balance there for sure. But you don't look for it. But they should, as they grow and mature in their life, they will naturally show love of appreciation to you. In verse 8, Paul continues and says, Paul says, I robbed other churches, taking wages from them to minister to you. This is where I'm saying he has a little sass here. He says, I didn't ask anybody from you, but I sit and robbed another church just to, so they, for the, your benefit here. I'm sitting here, I'm going to go and, and, and receive from other churches so you would benefit, so there wouldn't be no problems with me being able to minister to you. It's like a ministry, but Paul had a bit of irony here in verse 8. Just the fact that, the fact that you know, of course he didn't rob from the other churches. But he was basically saying, I had to receive from others just for the sake of you at this point. And then, then he says in verse 9, and when I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one. For what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied, and in everything I kept myself from being a burdensome to you, and so I will keep myself. He had joined up, as you remember in the scriptures, he joined up with a couple, Aquila and Priscilla, who were, had a, uh, owned a, a tent-making company. And he met up with them, and he ended up working for them within the church. That's what happens today, right? You, find, you meet people in fellowship and you need a job and you find out as you talk and you, there's a need and they say, oh, I, I got a company. Why don't you come give me your resume and we'll find it. Oh, no, I know someone. I'll, just let me know. Give me your resume and I'll pass it over to someone else. It's the same thing. And here he linked up here with Aquila and Priscilla for him to be able to work with his hands to be able to provide for himself so he wouldn't become a burdensome to the people. Because he understood. For some reason, he understood Clearly, if he took the money from that group to be able to provide for him, that would become a burden. And a burden, when you become a burden on the people, then that's when they stop receiving from you. They won't hear you when you're teaching the truth of God. Because they have something there they've allowed to become a barrier. But like if a loving father does not lay his burdens on his children... Instead, a father is sacrifices so that his children might have what they need. Now, make sure you understand that. Fathers and mothers sacrifice to make sure their children are, their needs are met, not all their wants. It's the same thing in the, in the church. Leaders 
provide what you need doesn't mean you get what you, all you want. And that's the problem within families. I want what I want when I want it, and if I don't get it, I start screaming and yelling, and I'll go figure out a way to get it. God says he'll provide your needs, not all your wants. The church is not to provide all your wants. It's to provide this, what is needed, scripturally needed, and that is the foundation. And so Paul says, hey, it's like a father with children. It's not easy to teach your children the difference between needs and wants and prices and values, is it? Children seem to have no idea what money really is. They just know how they can get them, that, that, that money somehow gets what they want. And as you're sitting there, your kids are listening to mom and dad having an exchange that says, you know, uh, uh, I want this. this. We really need this. And then and dad said, we can't afford that. And the kid responds, what? Yeah, 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 those little piece of papers. You just kind of write on it and you hand it to them and then they give it to you. Or you take that card out of your wallet and you just kind of swipe it and, and it just disappears and we get it. Just Give them the car or give them that little piece of paper, that checkbook. Because they have no clue. You have to have money in the bank to be able to do that. And there, there are adults that I know that write checks and swipe their card and have no money in the bank. And they don't even understand that they shouldn't be doing that. But you've got to have money in the bank before you write the check. You've got to have money in the bank before you start swiping that convenient little card of yours. But kids don't understand that, so you have to mature them. You have to help them grow and mature and understanding and repeat yourself multiple times. Is that a need or is that a want? We don't have money for the wants. We're going to keep focused on the needs. <laughs> Food on the table is a good thing, right? Lights on, heat going. These are needs. They're not wants. And so you have to teach your children. So Paul did not bring up this matter of money in order to boast about himself. Rather, he was using every means possible to silence the boasters of the Judaizers. Because Paul knew that not a single person could accuse him of covetousness, or a selfishness, his testimony even into the Ephesians. And if you go back and even read Acts chapter 20, verses 33 through 35, you could see that his hands were clean. He knew he had no covetousness. He was not coming here just to see what he could get from the, the, from the congregation, from the believers. He was like, hey, man, i got to get into to another church because they got 200 people. That means they're more money and I can make more money on my salary. See, that type of thinking is not a servant of God. That is a false teacher looking to benefit from the body of Christ and versus what they can give to Christ. They're looking to get what from they can get from the body. And then he continues. He says in verse 10, As the truth of Christ is in me, no one shall stop me. I love that statement. No one shall stop me from this boasting in the regions of Kai, of Kai which, is, of, which is Corinth. 
Paul said, I am so free to share the gospel, to so free to share the truth. I could do so freely tell you, I do not have to worry or be concerned whatsoever if someone come back saying, Pastor, you can't teach like that anymore. You're way too much on the truth here. Can you kind of soften it a little bit? Can you not talk about hell or talk about going to, you know, you know, uh, you know, sell, you know, being saved or the cross or anything. Can you just talk about how we can feel good as a Christian and how everything is going to be prosperity and I'm going to wear this three-piece suits and the gold chains and the watch and, and because I came to Christ, everything is going to be beautiful and perfect and I'm not going to have any sickness and death and all this prosperity doctrine. No, no. See, he understood that you're, the people couldn't force him to not tell the truth. That the people could force him to change the gospel or change the message to fit their tickling ears because they want to feel comfortable every time they come to church. He was free to teach the word of God freely. And he understood that with his group. They were wealthy church, remember? They were wealthy prosperity type church. Men and women with power. there's a tendency when you think you have money and power, you can dictate as a child to a father what he or she or mom can do. As children <laughs> in a family, children should not be dictating to the parents what will or will not happen. That should, cannot and should not be happening. So he says, no one's going to stop me from telling the truth of what the scriptures tells me. Because you have some control over me because you pay my, pay my paycheck. Not going to happen. It was a calling of God that moved him to action out of love. Out of love for his Savior and out of love for the people that God put in his life. That's what motivated Paul. That's what he woke up every morning. I'm, I'm up this morning, Lord, and I'm going to do whatever you want me to do because of you and the people you brought in my life. And that is my life. That's what, that's what I do. And he continues. He says, why? Verse 11, why? Because I do not love you? <laughs> God knows. God knows I love you. That's what motivates me. That's, what, that's why it's not going to stop me from doing what, I, what God's called me to do. Because I have a pure love for you. Verse 12, but what I do, I will also continue to do that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which we, they boast. He says, I'm not only going to get up because I love my Savior, I'm not only going to be able to do this and continue this because of my love for you, but I'm also going to do this because I need to teach you the truth because I need to protect you from these false teachers, these Judaizers, these people who are taking the grace of God and, and trying to mix it with the law again, I'm going to protect you and provide for you the understanding and the knowledge so that you're not deceived. I'm going to be there and I'm going to cut off these people who think they can just walk right in and say, I know, yeah, Paul was the star. He was the first past. Yeah, he's the apostle. But we're the eminent super apostles. You should start listening to us instead of him. That is very dangerous. And Paul says, 
I will continue to do what I do so that I can cut off these people who think they can just slide right in and take advantage of what God has done in and through this ministry. I'm going to stop it because I have to stop it. Because these people are trying to find something against Paul, constantly coming and finding faults in Paul, find some hole, loophole, something to use against him. And they were trying to use the money reason why they should turn away from Paul. They were trying to, 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 to the fact that he couldn't meet the same standards of the way he speaks or the way he dressed or the way he... There's always something that false teachers try to bring some, someone down. But here's a fatherly love warning that Paul gives us. These false teachers were taking advantage and taking their money and Paul is saying, if they do not get the money, if they don't get their position, if they don't treat them like a, some super apostle and give them money, I guarantee you, they'll leave in a heartbeat. When things get tough, when things don't go well, when things that there's not money in the bank account and there's not things they want to be able to do and promote themselves and stuff, they'll be gone in a heartbeat because they're going to be looking for another cash cow somewhere. You always can tell them. You always see it. Verse 13. For such are false apostles. When you see these things, just know you're dealing with false apostles. Deceitful workers. Shedding just slight, just deceit, just slight deceit workers. Transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. Do you notice that? They're transforming themselves, not a calling from God, but transforming themselves into an apostles of Christ. They're self-appointed apostles. They're playing the religious game. Someone says, ah, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I know enough that I can make some money in the nonprofit world. I can make money. All I have to do is sit there and have a contract with this group that says I'll teach only this many Sundays a year. I'm only going to have, I'm going to guarantee a certain amount of vacation time. I'm going to guarantee a certain salary. You're going to give me a car. You're going to give me this and this and this. And I will guarantee I'll write one book a year that you must promote and guarantee a certain amount. And if you do that, I'll bring my name to your church and you'll make your church grow. Those I refer to as false, false apostles, false teachers. These people are just looking for what they can get from the people. And so, as a lo father lovingly warn you, you've been warned. If you're hearing these things, you see these things out, do not listen to those things, those people. And no wonder... So Paul gives them the reason. Why are these people transforming themselves into an apostle of Christ? Why are they deceitful workers? Why are these false prophets? He tells them right, the reason why. Because it's no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into the ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. 
If God is working through your life, he's your ministers for Christ, your ambassadors for Christ, you're going to go out and you're going to be light and salt and you're going to do great things for God. And God gets all the glory. But if you're not of Christ and you're of Satan, you're doing the work of Satan, you're just like there. No wonder Satan's just using you as a vessel to transform you into something that looks really good. You sound really good. You tickle my ear because you actually, you actually tell me things I really want to hear about myself. And when you do that, no surprise. They've just become just vessels for Satan to be able to bring down the church. They present themselves as something they are not. The preachers of these false gospels, and they are with us today in Polrethra across the world. And he describes it here in verses 13 through 15. They claim to have a divine authority as God's servants, but their authority was bogus. It was self-appointed. It just happened this week. I'm in a conversation with some people over construction stuff, and we're talking back and forth, and this guy says, Pastor, I don't know, what do you, what's your opinion about this? And I said, oh, oh here we go. What it's going to be, because it's a non-believer, okay? And so he says, I have a friend who got online, and now he can go marry people, and he can do whatever he wants to do and, and apply for non-covered you know, you know, benefits for this non-profit because he's applied for himself, and he's a, an appointed uh, appointed uh, pastor I said there's your point right there you need to understand he's a self-appointed pastor it's not a calling of God and that is what we call false teachers so please come on Sunday because I'm actually going to be talking about that so <laughs> I'm going to use that bit of information this coming Sunday thank you very much but that's what happens out there today Hey, buddy, you're my best buddy. I wish you could be my, my best man or one of the things, but I got five brothers. It's already, the positions are already filled, but you can marry me. Go online and get into pastorship things so you can marry me here in this day. It happens today. It's insanity. But that's what these pastors were doing. They're self-appointed. They claim to be these true servants of God, but they were imposters. They wanted to show that they were by far better than what Paul was. They were more qualified and more trained. But their motive was not to glorify God, but to get personal gain by capturing converts. So when you get converts, especially high-paying ones, then I can get a lifestyle. But their, their method was deceitful. We see that back in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 17, and chapter 4, verse 2. Go back, Paul addresses the deceitfulness, the hypocrisy. It's like, it's like the basic um, concept of the, the idea of the, the, the fishing, right? You just bait the fish to catch the fish. You bait them, you bait them, you bait them to get them to, to oh, that looks good, that sounds good, that here, oh, I like that sound, oh, I like the method, I, oh, that sounds, that's really, that makes me feel good. And it baits them until they catches you as a fish, and then they draw you in. And then it's been, you've been deceived, you've been caught. 
They offer church members a Christian life that is superior. If you just come to Christ, you won't have sickness. You come to Christ, you'll get wealthy. If you come to Christ, you won't, you won't have the problems and issues in your life that you'll ever see again. Oh, it's going to be a great life. Just come to Christ. That's false teaching. Instead of being empowered by the Holy Spirit, these ministers were energized by Satan. These three times we see the word Paul uses the word transform. Transform. In the Greek it means to disguise or to masquerade. They're just wearing a disguise. They look good when they're at the pulpit, but their life behind and outside the church is contrary to the word of God. They masquerade who they are. And Paul is basically giving us a fatherly love warning that those who follow these false teachers, these false apostles, will receive the same judgment as the, as the same false apostle. If you listen to that teaching, you follow that teaching, you apply that in your life, you are going to get the same results as the false Apostle. Destruction. Verse 16. He now goes to the last part of the teaching here, and that's on the pain. We saw the fact that the Father, like a Father, protects, provides, but now we see Paul is bringing something up to light. He's going to speak about something. As we've seen through the scripture, he did not want to do this. He, he believes it's boasting, just like. Jesus didn't boast about his, uh, his infirmities. He didn't want to boast about his infirmities. But we're going to see clearly that Paul is going to have to do this, even though he doesn't want to, to bring a point across for the sheep to understand the difference between the Judaizers and what they're willing to do for them versus as a fatherly figure go through pain and suffering for his children. Because the Judaizers, false teachers, will never go through pain and suffering for you. But a father figure will and he says here in verse 16 i say again let no one think me a fool here <laughs> i'm about to say something but don't make think i'm a fool if otherwise at least receive me as a fool that i also may boast a little okay i'm about to tell you something but just understand i'm only saying it because i want you to understand as a father only a father would go through pain and suffering like i did you're not a father, you would never go through the pain and suffering that Paul did for your children. It says, what I speak, verse 17, I speak not according to the Lord. Because he says, the Lord would not be doing this. The Lord wouldn't be bringing up all these, these, deep, these, these examples and details. But I'm not speaking according to the Lord, but as if, as it were foolishly in this confidence of boasting. He says, Paul, so basically Paul is saying, this is crazy that I have to have this conversation with you or write this to you. But I'm going to do it because it's going to sound like boasting, but it's not boasting. And even Paul and John the Baptist would have agreed in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 17, it says, he, Christ, must increase, but I must, what? Decrease, John 3, 30. But he who glorifies, let him glory in what? In the Lord, 2 Corinthians 10, 17. So him and John the Baptist says, hey, we must, what? 
decrease for him to increase. For him to increase, we must decrease. So boasting and providing and letting people how great you are is not the path you want to go down to. You must glory in the Lord and you not glory in your own accomplishments. But that's what the Judaizers do. That's what the false teachers do. They're always saying, hey, you know how many books I wrote? You know how many this or that? And you know how many people? Uh, you know what school I went to? And all. They'll self-promote themselves all the time. I love when I go to a Calvary Chapel pastor's conference. Never do we sit there and we have men that God has used. And, and Chuck Smith is probably the best, is the best example for me. He never self-promoted himself. He never got up there, and people never got up there. Oh, the next speaker is going to be Pastor Chuck Smith, and let me tell me how many books he wrote, and look at what God has done, and how many churches, and how many people. And he, did you realize he has 30,000 people coming on a Sunday? And You never hear that at our pastor's conference because I'm surrounded by men who understand that that is not what you do. But then I watch and I see at other past conference outside, and that is the norm. They read this dissertation of all their accomplishments and schools and diplomas. and, and uh, That should not be. You want God to be glorified. You want God to get all the credit. You, we must decrease so the Lord can increase. And he says in Verse 18, seeing that many boast according to the flesh, I also will boast. For you put up with fools gladly, <laughs> since you yourselves are wise. Again, he's being sassy here, you know. He's like, since, okay, I'll boast a little, since you've accepted all these people who boast all the time in, I might as well boast too here for a minute. And, uh, and oh yeah, because you're so wise, I understand. But he says, You've allowed these false teachers in. So I'm going to say something so you understand the comparisons here. And he starts it. He says, for you put up with it if one brings you into bondage. If one devours you. If one takes, you, takes from you. If one exalts himself. If one strikes you on the face. And so he's clearly showing and bringing to light what was going on with these false teachers with the Corinthian believers. He says, you gladly brought these men in who put you under bondage. You have been set free by the grace of God and now he, they're bringing you back into bondage saying that you need to throw the law back in here and follow the law. You've allowed that. You've allowed them to devour you. They, they came in and they ate up everything the church could get them. They just devoured whatever they could get from their church. And you allowed it. They had to take from you. They, you were, you were so, such a fool. It's like you were allowed like a bird to be snared or a fish to be hooked. They baited you and they just said, hey, you need me, you need me. And you allowed them to come in so that they could take from the church. You've allowed them to exalt themselves and not exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. You allowed them to be more prominent. Why are you going to church at the Corinthian church? Oh, we're going to go see the uh, super apostle. That's why we're going to church. I wasn't going to church, but I heard such and such was going to teach. 
No, you go because you're going to go and hear what the Lord has for you through the word of God. That's why you go to church. But not there. They allowed them the, the, these false apostles to be exalted above the Lord Jesus Christ. They loved to be honored and treated as some great spiritual leaders because they had the robes and the, the awe the, the, about them. And they, these Corinthians allowed them to actually even be struck by these people. Now, Paul might be more leaning toward the fact they would be able to be verbally attacked but we also know by history and in the scriptures that Judaizers had no problem slapping a, a, a someone in their congregation with something to get their attention. Or we, another word is they allowed them to lord over the people. To yell and to belittle them and control them and tell them what they can or cannot do. These people allowed these false teachers to come into the church and do this to them. And supposedly they're wise. Supposedly they already know what they're supposed to be doing. But Paul says, no, 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 no. How could you do that? To verse 21, to our shame, I say that we were too weak for that. But in whatever anyone is bold, I speak foolishly. I am bold also. Because remember, they were, they were blaming Paul saying, hey, you don't want to follow this guy. He's not a leader. He's so weak. Look at look what he looked like. He was not the greatest looking guy. He had all kinds of physical problems. He was a short, long, crooked nose, all kinds of things that history says Paul looked like. He was a mess. But look what happens. Paul then, verses 22 through 31, follow along and look what he is boasting in. It says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are these, are, they, are these Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. So he got the, 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 the platform all set. These guys, these false teachers, these false apostles you brought in, aren't we equal in that respect? Yes, he was exactly like these guys from that perspective. From a Jewish heritage perspective, he was equal with these false apostles. There are no difference there. They can't say, oh, we're a Jewish descent and Paul's not. No, he couldn't do that. Paul was from the Jewish descent. Was he from the, I'm from the seed of Abraham. He was from the seed of Abraham. So that all being equal, Paul says, then what? What distinguishes me between me and them? He says it right here in verse 23. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. And you know why he knows he's more of a minister of Christ than they are? Because he did something that they were not willing to do. And look at what he, he lists off here. I am more in labors more abundant. He worked harder. He labored hard for them. In stripes above measure. In prisons more frequently. In deaths often. See, remember, Paul had not been an apostle. He would not have gone through all of these things that he's about to mention. He went through all of these things because he was an apostle. Then he continues. 
25, verse 24. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. He received 39 stripes five times. Do you know that most men never even survived those 39 stripes? And he received that beating five times in his life as, as an apostle. 13 stripes on one shoulder, 13 stripes on the other shoulder, and 13 stripes across the chest. It was so bad he would lose so much blood, most people died of shock. This man received it five times, and God said, Next. Remember, in the scriptures, numbers mean something. Forty means judgment. Remember the days of Noah? It rained 40 days and 40 nights. It's, 40 is the, sign of the number of judgment. What is the number of 39? Does anyone know? Mercy. That's why they did 39. And he endured it five times from the Jewish his, from his own people. Continues. <clears throat> 25. Three times I was beaten with rods. Now, uh, the Romans beat people with rods. So the Romans now, not only the Jews beat him five times, the Romans even beat him with rods three times. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I, was, I, I have been, been in the deep. Now remember, there's only one recording of, 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 of a beating for Paul, and that was in Acts 16.22, as well as only one stoning that was noted in the scriptures as Acts 14.19. So the, obviously the scriptures, and of all the things that Paul went through, and not totality, but he is sitting here presenting all the things that, that took place in his life. So all these things he said, but it continues here. Verse 26, in journeys often, this man traveled. For the people. He didn't sit in his house and just wait for the people to come to him. He was in journeys. And it wasn't easy to journey there. He didn't have the jets. He didn't have the nice cars. He uh, by foot here, right? He journeyed often in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. In weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, and fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things. He didn't even list it all. And besides all the other things, what comes upon me daily? What is that? All of that stuff he just mentioned. And even the things he didn't mention. But what comes upon him daily? Because remember, he didn't get whipped every day. He didn't get stoned every day. He didn't get in deep water every day. But what plagued him? What, what was a, the, the pressure on him as a leader, as an apostle? My deep concern for all the churches. The love of the people. Of what was happening to his brothers and sisters in the church. That's what kept him with great concern, great care, and great love of interceding for those people. Not to keep him from the next beating, not to keep him from the next shipwreck, not to keep him from anything, 
other than his focus was on the people and not himself. Consider the pain what Paul endured for the cause of Christ and for the care and the concern of the churches. Yes, other travelers go through shipwrecks. Yes, other travelers can be robbed by robbers on the road to going from point A to point B. Someone could have taken this. Someone could have thrown a stone at you. All of that could, yes, could happen to any traveler. But Paul endured them because of the love for Christ and the, for the love of the church. That is why he received those. Not just because he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. But his greatest burden was not around him, but within him. And then that was the care and the concern for the church. But Paul knew that he was going to, the ministry that God had put him in was not going to be easy. Paul knew from the outset of his ministry that he would suffer for Jesus' sake. We see that in Acts chapter 9, verses 15 and 16. And then God reaffirmed that to Paul, that he was going to have some challenges in the ministry. And we see that in Acts chapter 20, verse 23. He who causes others to suffer for their faith, himself had to suffer for his faith. Remember, Paul, Saul of Tarsus, persecuted, killed, and imprisoned, beaten believers in Jesus Christ. And then he got saved by grace. Then he was given a call to ministry to go out and to share the gospel to the Gentiles. And that is only by grace. But he still ended up receiving, in this case, he went out to share the faith. He ended up being persecuted for his faith as well. And, he was, and God warned him. And I think Paul's like, really, God? I'm doing this for you? And these people are doing this against me? They're saying these things about me. These people are coming and trying to figure out ways to take me out and discredit me and, 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 and tear the church apart and, and fractions are doing this and this. Really, God, this is what you called me to do? These are the people you brought and you're, these people are doing these things? And I can see God going, Paul, let me reaffirm you. This is nothing yet. Wait for the next beating. Wait for the next shipwreck. Wait for these next things you're going to be doing because you're doing it for me and I will use it for my glory and that's what it caused Paul to continue he took his eyes off the being a man pleaser or some being prominent self appointed person and said I will endure what you've called me to do God regardless of how I feel. And he did. 29. Who is weak? And I am not weak? Who is made to stumble? And I do not burn with indignation? 
He says, I'm human. <laughs> Do you not understand that I feel the pain? I feel, I personally feel when you come against me, Paul says. Do you not think I'm weak? Do you not think I can be made to stumble? Do you not think I can't get angry and, 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 and get upset over the things that I'm seeing going on within this Corinthian church? It grieves me. I'm not some stone-hard apostle that doesn't be affected by the fact that people are doing what they're doing. Sometimes I can be off balance at times. Yes, I can get upset because I'm just watching and what's seeing what's going on. It just drives me crazy. But why did Paul care so much for the Corinthian believers? Why didn't he just say, fine, you want to be it that way? It, you're on your own. I'll just go find and start another church. Why did he care so much for these people? Because he could identify with the believers. And whatever happened to his children touched his own heart, and he could not abandon them. If you're really, truly a father, you would never abandon your children. Never. Father, a true father cannot do that. And that's why he says in verse 30, If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. I am not going to boast about how many churches I st started or how many people are coming to my church, or how much money I make, or how many books I wrote, or anything other than I will only, if I'm going to boast, I'll boast in what I had to endure for Christ, if I'm going to have to boast. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. I don't care if you accept what I'm saying, or you don't accept what I'm saying. I don't care if you don't believe where my heart is or where my heart you think my heart is. I know without a shadow of a doubt that the Father of my Lord and Savior knows that I'm not lying. And guess what? Paul had such stability because he knew his life was founded on the rock of his salvation. His defender his provider, his healer, his comforter, his savior. That is who he stayed focused upon and not man and not woman. And then I love the end here. It's kind of quirky, but I really kind of like the end here. Paul really shows his humbleness. <laughs> Remember Saul the Tarsus of Tarsus was Prison people, killing people, traveling around, taking these believers in Jesus Christ, the, the people who are part of the way, and taking those people and trying to get rid of them. But look at the very end. He brings up something I think is the, probably the most humbling thing for him. He says, in Damascus, the governor under Eratos, the king, who was guarding the city of the Damascenes, with a garrison desiring to arrest me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. This account here in Damascenes, 160 miles northeast of Jerusalem, 
was his very first outing in the ministry. Here he is, Saul of Tarsus, one day. He gets saved. God says, commissions him, you're going out. He goes out into the, the world to spread the gospel, and he finds himself, and here's one of his first things in the ministry. Can you believe it? It's going to be exciting. God's going to use me in a great way in the ministry. And he humbly has to be let out of a window in a basket to, for his life. I love it. Such humbleness that God took him from. And then from there, what happened? Look at what he endured for Christ after that. That is a man who loves the Lord and who was willing to do whatever God called him to do, and he never looked back. He never went back to the world. He never went back to his old life. He never went back and compromised. He just kept going. And words of encouragement to my brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers. Keep going. Do not look back. Do not compromise in raising those children. Grandparents, I can do that now. We're going to be a grandparent. Jackson Christopher is on his way. And I can't wait to kiss his little forehead. And we're going to invest in that child. Aren't we? We must, my brothers, fathers, do not give up. Protect, provide, and endure the pain.